Most wonderful time of the year here on the Footy Talks podcast. Snow is falling throughout most of southern Ontario to ring in MLS Cup Week 2019. For the third time in four years, that involves Toronto FC and Seattle Sounders in the game being dubbed the Trilogy. It's perhaps the least predictable of the three as neither side was expected to get this far, but we will break down how they have on this week's show. My name is Mitchell Tierney and we have another Waking the Red Roundtable edition of the show for you today. Jeff Nesker, as he has been throughout the playoffs, is back on the show, while Martin Bailey will be making his playoff debut off the bench, looking to provide some Nick Deleon moments, hopefully. Um, But guys, I mean, we're back. It's (laughs) Toronto FC, Seattle Sounders. Um, I think only in in jokes would have anyone predicted this. Um, We'll we'll start with you, Jeff. This has been... uh, a pretty wild playoff run, but I think it's it almost seems only right that it, again it's ending up in in a clash against uh, the rave green of Seattle. Yeah, I mean, I wish I was a betting man because this feels like an MLS version of the Leicester City bet from uh, 2016, right? <laughs> like, good point. if I put down if I had put down money at the beginning of the season with those odds, uh, you know, I'd have a couple more a uh, couple more dollars to 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 throw together, and maybe could have afforded. Uh, some of those tickets and and the flight over to Seattle to catch the the rubber match. Uh, yeah, I mean it's uh, we're I'm elated, but I, there's still a part of me that's in some serious shock here. I can't actually believe we're here right now. Uh, I'm going to assume that my uh, parents and and more importantly my wife doesn't listen to this podcast. So I'll tell you, I had uh, I had a decent amount of uh, I, maybe fifty dollars or so on the 2017 TFC team to win the oh. uh, cup, and they did. Uh, I cast out about 60% before the final started because I didn't want that business on match day. Uh, I gave some of it back last year, but I, true story, about four days ago, I logged into the account I haven't used in eight months to see if I laid a cheeky bet in March for them <laughs> to win the cup. I couldn't remember it. Uh, the sad story is no, I, I didn't have a cheeky 25 on them to win the cup because that would have uh, that would have made things all the much happier. But no, it, it's amazing um, how not over the top this team has been through the first six months, sort of quiet. But mm-hmm. uh, like like the snow that fell in Toronto this morning, it seems almost the inevitability this time of year. These uh, these clubs with their quality find a way to uh, to get through and, and, and make it back to the final. Yeah, yes, it's you know it's it's the level of experience that these two teams have. I mean, uh, it's so interesting that the the narrative fully moved on these past couple of years to the LAFCs and the Atlanta United. Yet here we are again. Uh, you know the the old guards still are not letting go of of kind of their spots in their respective conference. Is so um, that that makes this certainly a fun, an interesting final as well. But a lot of differences this time I mean we, we've already mentioned the main one which is that you know no one really expected either of these sides to get this far I guess in in 2016 um, that was kind of the case as well there wasn't the the same expectation for for these two sides Toronto FC certainly but it definitely was the case this year with the the dominance of NYCFC Atlanta some of the other teams um, in the Western Conference as well but now that we're here what what are some of the the key differences you see to this one that weren't necessarily around in 2017 and certainly 2016 as well because I think that I think it's a fascinating final from that sense uh, Martin we'll start with you 
Um, obviously, the, the the actual location of the final itself right, will, yeah. will be a, That's big, a big will one. be a big change. Um, and, and it's been interesting. I listened to a couple of um, podcasts and, and read some articles from Seattle, and it's great mm-hmm. to hear the excitement that they have. Um, uh, because although it's their third trip in four years, it's the first time that they get the host. So they get the big novelty trophy and they get they get uh, all the game day experience. Um, and, and for those of us that have friends heading out, there's excitement there. But from a club point of view, um, I would say from Toronto, it really does seem a bit more of a systems uh, sort of team, a, a bit more right. spread throughout. N- not the same... Not the same domination by the Jovenko and, and, and Altidore. Right. Um, uh, you had the same heroics in net, uh, just a different man wearing the jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but yeah, I, I it, it felt a bit more of a um, yeah, a team effort, I would say, by the Reds. That, that's the biggest difference for me. Yeah, not that 2017 was, I mean, in the playoffs was beautiful soccer by any means. I mean, we had some ugly games, but there were those kind of defining moments from Toronto FC star players, whereas this one, obviously, you did have the Pozuelo game against New York City FC, but uh, otherwise, it's been, you know, some some unexpected heroes for Toronto FC during these playoffs, and I think that's, uh, like you said, kind of added to your point that uh, it's it's been a team effort here. Um Jeff, do you think that we mentioned that this game being in Seattle? Do you think that kind of puts a a level of pressure on Seattle that maybe Toronto FC doesn't have in the sense that you know this is their home final, this is an opportunity for them to do something that maybe they couldn't in the other two finals, even if they did win one of them, in the sense that um, you know we we've seen Seattle sell out in in mere minutes in terms of their their home support, and you know th- there's just something different about being able to do it at home, which I think we we all learned in 2017. Absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm just parroting what I've read all across the internets, but uh, it's almost like the 2016 MLS Cup, uh, where the where the positions have changed. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, and and hopefully it will be the same result for TFC as it was for Seattle in our house uh, in 2016. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I kind of yeah, exactly. I I, I think it's uh, that there, there's definitely pressure on Seattle. Um, there, you know, I. I the, the 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 stats on 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 ticket sales and sellouts i always take with a grain of salt having lived through two mls cups at right. home and knowing just how much of a free for all wild wild west it is with you know <laughs> mls taking uh taking seats from from everyone and and I, and I know that there was a lot of uh back and forth with the season seat holders in seattle i, I believe that they had uh, the ability to buy up to six uh, extra seats based on mm-hmm. uh, on how many seats and uh, of course those were all snapped up um the cat you know obviously it was done to allow um fans uh access to the game but but if you right. look at the resale market and it was quite volatile all of last week uh it didn't quite work out that way and it went to a lot of ticket touts and scalpers and there was a there was a, again this is something we've all lived through i i, I remember um the logistical nightmare of making sure I was even getting into 2016 and 2017, mm-hmm. uh, being a season ticket holder for both of those years. Uh, so I don't envy that. I mean, I, I was listening to Dwayne on uh, Soccer Today, and he was saying much the same thing. I don't envy that headache, um, but uh, I, I do like, you know, this it's the rubber match, and, and narratively, it's kind of perfect, right? Like, this is our first trip over there, and uh, it's the third in the trilogy, and uh, if the soccer gods 
like uh, like nicely rounded out, satisfactory stories. We're gonna we're gonna win in their house come Sunday. Uh, I, you know, I, I think we were talking about this offline, but but um, it really does feel not, not that Toronto doesn't deserve this chance at a second uh, cup win, but mm-hmm. but maybe we all weren't expecting it in May when we had to wait for the summer transfer window and when we lost you know part of the team to international yeah. duty and not many of us saw it on the calendar but the 2016-2017 march with such with such defiance and with such purpose that i think if it's all said and done from a fan's point of view if, if toronto ends up grabbing this cup and we walk away from this era with two championships that feels just about right you know this kind of sort of not makes up for 2016, but I'm, I'm not saying this team feels like a three-time champion, but one star I don't think does us uh, proper for, for the for the effort they put out. So so maybe this is the, the cup that makes up for 2016. Uh, interesting anecdote. My wife reminded me last night that I tried to have our honeymoon delayed to about this time this year, and she said, uh, when I asked you, I was like, God, there's no way TFC's going to be in the playoffs, so let's... Uh, Let's uh, schedule it for then, and, and how and how upset I would have been had we actually been in Europe right now. So, uh, so kudos to my wife for 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 having the uh, the foresight that I didn't possess. Because if you had, if you had told me back then that we'd be here right now, I would have uh, I, I I would have laughed in your face quite possibly. So, yeah, wow, that's a that's quite a wild story, and I, I think pretty. Um, you know, pretty common among Toronto FC fans. I think there there wasn't a lot of expectation that uh, uh, the team would get this far. I know, I know, even with my work schedule, with with you know surrounding playoffs, I kind of didn't. I booked like one one game ahead, basically, and like I wasn't thinking long term here. And then I had to even look up what day MLS Cup final was because I never thought that Toronto FC was going to get that far. But uh, at any rate, this match from a, a tactical standpoint is is so interesting to me because these are two teams that throughout the playoffs have had major success. And I know this hasn't necessarily been what Toronto FC has been trying to do. It's just been a byproduct of them playing, you know, two of the best teams in their home venue in the Eastern conference. But both of these teams have not had a lot of the ball and they've kind of been good at hitting teams on the counter. Certainly the Seattle Sounders aren't going to want to do that um, at their on their home fields, that's that's not going to be part of the strategy. But it, it makes it interesting in that sense. And the other thing that I'm really interested in is if you're the Seattle Sounders preparing for this match, you know, in, in terms of what you can expect for Toronto FC. I mean, I have no clue what to expect from Toronto FC because first off, we don't know who's going to be on the field. Um, we're not entirely sure Josie's going to be ready, but uh, who knows at this point. And then Gonzalez, we're not sure about him. Then at the same time, you know that Greg Vanny in a past final has completely switched up his formation and tactics to go into that 4-4-2 diamond in 2017. And if he does something again like that, which you know wouldn't be out of the question, then a lot of your preparation goes right out the window. So um, if I'm Schmetzer, I'm having a really tough time this week trying to prepare for Toronto FC, and I think that makes it fascinating. Jeff, you can uh, you can start on this. Well, you need two game plans. You need one if Josie plays, because then you're bringing Roman Torres on. Yeah. And uh, if if Josie doesn't play or doesn't start, then you're probably going to run with the hot hands, which is the two guys, uh, Kim Kihi and uh, the other guy escapes me. But uh, you know, Ariaga, uh, yeah. yeah, Ariaga, who are who are an entirely different look. Um, and so you know, uh, they can. 
I, I've read a lot of articles that, that that suggest that the that the Sounders are watching a lot of film on Pozuelo. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would suggest that they are anticipating pause There's in the There's a lot of film the out there on night. Pozuelo. Yeah, <laughs> He's played a lot of a, games. <laughs> <laughs> and only, what, three swear words? His ratio yeah. is fantastic for that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, they, they, you know, I, I it, it's an interesting bit of gamesmanship wrinkle, uh, you know, and uh, certainly uh, I think TFC's rising to the challenge with, uh, with what we've seen from Josie and, and Vanny over the week kind of playing good cop bad cop with the with whether or not he's going to be available so uh, it, it is definitely forcing seattle's hand um you know a brave in a in a very brave situation with no consequence uh i would imagine vanny throws out a wrinkle because that goes against both game plans that seattle would be preparing for right like you mm-hmm. you know if, if i was vanny and i and i and i really 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 wanted to throw a spanner in the works i would pull like a like something akin to a 4-2-2 diamond uh or a 4-4-2 diamond uh like he did in mls cup 2017 because i, I guarantee you they haven't planned for that wrinkle out, out of the gates yeah, it, it, it's amazing. Um, it, it's amazing the different looks that, that they could put out there, especially when you're not sure who the, the fittest eleven will be, let alone the best eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be shocked if if Josie starts, and maybe that's just me uh, buying into the uh, the hype or the red herrings that are being put out there. But I I, I think if if you've only got twenty or twenty five minutes. Uh, out of him, uh, I'd, I'd rather have them be in the second half of the game, or, or you know, heaven yeah. forbid, um, the extra, the extra time if, if it goes there. Um, but I, I really think that uh, I think that Vanny started the exact same starting eleven the first three games. Um, personally, I, I, I think uh, if Gonzalez is fit, he slides in. Uh, yeah. you, you don't worry about any jinxing of, of breaking up the eleven. But um, I've got Altidore if he's if he's fit to dress coming off the bench as opposed to starting. Yeah, this system. I, I mean, it has been so important to what they've been able to do in these playoffs. So you, you know, you wonder about um, getting away from that and what it would mean. But at the same time, we've seen how important the, the changes to the system have been in the in the sense of bringing players off the bench and what that's meant in the second half of games. I almost wonder. I mean. Seattle, you kind of know what to expect from them at this point. They're probably almost certainly going to come out in that four-two-three-one. It's what they've done, um, you know, throughout the Schmetzer era. I, you know, unless Schmetzer wants to pull a Vanny and, and switch it up himself, which I actually think would be, you know, a, a big mistake in the sense that I think a lot of Seattle's strength is how comfortable they are in that system. I almost wonder if we go back to the tried and true. Three five two that Toronto FC's played, you know, very comfortably throughout the past four years because it just matches up so well with that four two three one in the sense that you can overload that midfield. You can have three guys on Rui Diaz, who I think is is one of the biggest threats here in this game, and it gives you that defensive coverage while also, you know, that's what we saw against New York City when Toronto FC was at their best in this playoffs when they were able to control that midfield and they have the players in there to do it. Um, that's where they had success. So I, if if I see one swerve from Greg Vanny, I think that's the one that I could see. Martin, you have a thought on this? Well, just the 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 number one memory I have of that two seven two thousand seventeen playoff. Uh, it's Michael Brad. It's him, and not even necessarily in the final, but but in the semi in the home leg. I forget who was in alone, but he tracked back. And it looked like a video from that, yeah. the Wild Kingdom uh, of just 
he was taking two <laughs> strides for every stride of the other, and he tracked back and he and he made a a um, a game saving tackle. Uh, and and the last few games hasn't has, hasn't the Michael Bradley Renaissance been wonderful? Like like he he has beast, been a beast back there in the midfield. So I, I think I think. Um, yeah, if they line up that way and you concentrate on, on what Mike, Michael has to give, uh, I think that bodes well for Toronto. Jeff, yeah, two game, two games minus ten minutes in Atlanta. The first ten minutes in Atlanta it wasn't right. wasn't the best. Yeah, wasn't the yeah. best look for him before there. I mean, no. let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. I still, I, I actually still can't believe they were able to get out of Atlanta considering that first ten minutes, and it looked completely like Atlanta United had figured Toronto FC out, and then they just. They just stopped doing what <laughs> what it seemed like they had uh, had so much success with, and then all of a sudden Toronto was able to get back in the game. So that's still, uh, you know, you talk about how bizarre it is that Toronto FC has has gotten this far. I mean, uh, the fact that they were able to get past Atlanta kind of adds to that. But uh, in that sense, that's in some ways a an advantage for Toronto FC in that you know they've gone up against two of the. Four, or two of the top three best home teams in MLS in New York City FC and of course Atlanta United and of course two of the tougher places to go I know City Field wasn't New York's best stadium but you're still playing on the small fields um, that's that's got to help you going into this final that they have all that experience and recent experience on um, some of the you know the the tougher places to go in this league doesn't it Martin yeah absolutely and I don't know never having played at any level let alone this level I, I don't want to get inside of these guys uh, psyches but I almost wonder if this like it's been a while since Seattle has had the 70,000 supporters at home right like they right. don't pull that for the regular season games mm-hmm. and, and I don't want to say in 2016 that Toronto FC was out of sorts playing at home in front of their crowd. Uh, obviously, it was a positive and not a negative. But yeah. there is a mentality. There is a, this is our stage, we mm-hmm. have to perform. Right. Where Toronto, I mean, Vegas might have a little extra money on Toronto, but Toronto can walk in there with nothing to lose men- mentally. And, yeah. and, and no one expected them to get through the Bronx and, or the Queens. No one expected them <laughs> to get out of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I think I, I think that they can they can go into Seattle with 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 no apprehensions at all, uh, and and it it might be just a little bit tighter for Seattle in that opening fifteen. Jeff, go ahead. I 100 percent agree. I mean, if you look at uh, I was about to counter uh, your previous comment where you said two at Toronto slayed two out of three Dragons, with the third one obviously being LAFC. Well, Seattle had to go away to do that. They're mm-hmm. not in that position anymore. I mean, if we're talking about hot hands and continuing trends, Toronto is right on a lateral move, right? Whereas Seattle is now playing to double the crowd that they're used to. A lot of casual fans, a lot of new media, a lot of new eyeballs. Uh, with And as Martin said, all the expectations that come with that. Uh, I don't want to get into pop psychology, but that has to mean something. Absolutely, mm-hmm. without question. Toronto um, is... You know, uh, we can argue whether or not it was the good idea for Toronto to wait an extra day when there's a time change and, and, and a climate difference to, to head to Seattle. I know they, uh, they're they heading in, what was it, this morning after one last training session at, at BMO. Yeah. Uh, we can argue, you know, after the fact, hindsight being 2020, we can, we can definitely talk about whether that was the right idea or not. It certainly 
the opposite of what we did for CONCACAF where we were like in Mexico six years before the games <laughs> took place. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think the pressure's I think the pressure's on for Seattle and it's a pressure that they've not experienced before. I mean, the the overarching theme for both these teams is we've been here before, we've done that before, this isn't anything new. Well, Seattle's got a massive dose of newness uh, being handed to them come Sunday. And that, that may be one of the X factors uh, in how this match shakes out. Yeah, in some ways a newness for Toronto FC as well in the sense that they haven't played an MLS Cup final on the road as well. But you look back at that CONCACAF Champions League final and they have played a, a major final game on the road and been, you know, obviously the end wasn't great, but they were pretty successful in that game away at uh, Chivas uh, back last year so uh, I think that definitely helps them out as well before we finish up talking about this game I just wanted to look at um, because I always think it's interesting and I think it's extra interesting in this year's um, game is the key players to this this match because there's not much to separate these two teams I mean you've got um, two sides that are you know basically playing at um, kind of the same pace down the stretch in the last nine nine games, um, one point eight nine points for for both sides. So they're basically playing at a similar clip here, and um, I, I just think that that makes this this game so interesting in the sense that it might just come down to some individual performances. Martin, uh, if you want to <laughs> go ahead. So the the last time we did this, I checked was because uh, numbers are my thing. The last time sure. we did this was twelve weeks ago, mm-hmm. and uh, just, just I want Benedict Rhodes to know that Toronto FC has not lost since the three of us got together on a podcast. Ah. So this, this may be the key. But and I took stick from you two because when you the last time you asked me to circle something, I circled all eleven. <laughs> yeah, um, but yep. they they didn't. They ran the table in the league, so maybe all 11 were the most important. I am <laughs> going to take uh, Westberg as my player, uh, my, my key player choice, yeah. down the stretch. Uh, what he's done in the past three games and in the second half of the season uh, has been nothing short of heroic in a sporting sense, if mm-hmm. you can use that word. Uh, the, the back line uh, is in good form, and they haven't allowed three goals in, in the last 19 competitive matches. And hopefully it doesn't get to uh, penalty kicks. But if it does, the team has very little success. But uh, none of that is up to Westberg. He, he's never faced the, the, the shootout before. Uh, those have right. been on previous keepers. Yeah. And he's the only man to ever stand in net and not allow four goals. He's got two saves and two misses in the mm. 11 chances that he's uh, faced this year. So uh, certainly no one wearing a red top wants to go through 120 minutes of tied football uh, and get to the spots but if we do uh, I'm willing to give Westberg his chance. Yeah that's a good point the the penalty kicks are not his history, they're Toronto FC's history but uh, I think yeah I I think anytime, I mean we've seen the difference a goalkeeper can make in uh, a final unfortunately from Toronto FC's perspective so if Westberg and Martin and both Jeff have put their hands on their hands after I said that. We're doing the see no evil, hear no evil (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) so uh, sorry to bring that up but uh, I think it is a it is a good point heading into this. Jeff is is there a player on Toronto FC who you're looking at for this match? I mean, if we do the the three five two, who's up front? Is it Paws and Endo? Is it Paws and Mullins, or, or you know, who it's do good, you see? It's a good question. Um, I'd maybe even put Benize up there. I know, uh, I know, you'd probably rather him in in the midfield if you can, but uh, it's it, it'd be a bit of more of a 
five three or five four one and defensive and then i think benize has the quality to go the other way and and kind of lead the line um or poswell would be more so leading the line but kind of be one of the furthest player forwards so that's that's who i'd look at um for that position yeah so so i mean uh that's a good segue i i I think benize is my player to watch um simply because uh i i don't know i'm only hearing dead air are you guys still there yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. we got you okay uh, I think I think Benazay is the one to watch, mostly because there's been a disconnect in what I've seen of his in-game performance, and then the the sort of resounding praise around TFC land. I think he he gets into all the right spaces, but then his movement and and his and his touches have always been frustrating to me. I mean, he can dribble. Certainly, he's got skill, and yeah. that that little curl to score the equalizer in the Atlanta game I thought was was fantastic. But people are just heaping praise on the guy, and and I've been. A little bit underwhelmed so you know mm-hmm. I, I'd, I'd like to see uh, I'd like to see the quality coming out I mean he's one of the first subs obviously but but that's that's neither here nor there because you've got Lorea and Endo on the bench uh, ready to uh, sorry uh, Lorea and De Leon on the bench ready to just uh, wreck havoc so so but uh, yeah I, I, I'll be watching to see what he brings to the game absolutely yeah I sort of so, had a sorry go ahead go ahead Oh, no, 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 no. I, I'm probably echoing what you're about to say. Right. Well, I kind of had a, a similar take to Benazay in watching that Atlanta match in the sense that he scored that great goal. But um, otherwise, you know, he's he's newer to this team and he kind of looks like it sometimes where some of the back heel flicks and that sort of thing that, that he does, they, they don't necessarily go where he wants them to. So even if he did score that goal, he didn't necessarily have the, the greatest performance um, during that match. So... Uh, for me though, I think the player that I'm keying in on here is is Auro, um, in the sense that I think Toronto FC is going to spend a lot of this game playing defensive, and the Seattle Sounders are one of the best teams in the league, and probably the best team in the league in the sense of attacking down Auro's flank, um, and they're very good in the wings. I mean, they barely ever attack through the middle, so um, I. I yeah, I just think that, especially going up against Nico Ladero, that's kind of his preferred side. Um, it's it's going to be just so tough for, for Arrow during this game. But if he can have one of the performances that he's had during these playoffs, uh, I think that that's could be, quite frankly, the difference to this final. And in that sense, I do think you need Arrow in there over uh, Richie Lorea. I definitely think we see Lorea at some point during this game, regardless of the scoreline, because he's been such an incredibly impactful player for Toronto FC over these playoffs, but um, I I do think that Arrow is is your guy in the starting eleven. Um, now I guess before we wrap up, just uh, some some closing thoughts on this match and, and move on. Uh, we have a couple more things to talk about, but before we wrap up this part, certainly. Um, I was looking at a few numbers, trying to go in and 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 trying to calm my nerves a little bit because, quite honestly, uh, I. Uh, and, and nervous for, for Sunday. It's going to be weird not heading to the stadium and not taking in the game day atmosphere. It's kind of not that you have any control in that way, but but I feel a little bit more helpless this way. The one thing that jumped out at me, and, and I hope it's an omen, I, I look for omens, like uh, <laughs> the day after we lost the Voyager Cup, I, I woke up and I did my numbers and I was trying to find some peace with it and I realized that Michael Bradley would be playing his 200th game if we made it to the MLS Cup final, yeah. and then a couple weeks later, I I found out that um, you know Vanny, the Vanny era since September first, two thousand fourteen, would be coming on on its hundredth win in two hundred and twenty five matches if they made it to the final. And uh, this morning, uh, I realized that 
uh, on Sunday when we head to the ground, it will be 99 days undefeated in MLS. So I'm hoping that that is you know wow. one more lucky charm and, and that we can make it a couple hundred without a loss uh, before we get to next March. So, so uh, feelings are good, and uh, I'm looking forward to watching the game at Rec Room with you guys and and uh, having having a, 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 my first one of my first major TFC memories with my son. I showed him the South End in 2016 and 2017, mm-hmm. and I told him that he's not allowed to light any flares or burn <laughs> <laughs> at the game this year. <laughs> do do you think Seattle has their own Martin Bailey and they're doing a podcast right now and their own Martin <laughs> Bailey has got like three stats that yeah. are just as wonderfully narrative and they're all just sitting there going, we're going to win this one for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Love to see that. That's the stat battle that uh, <laughs> occur in the, uh, in the coming yep. days. But um, no, uh, the answer is that no one has, has a Martin Bailey. So oh. I, th- I think we're good there. <laughs> <laughs> before I before we move on, I, I guess this sort of tangentially relates to Toronto FC in the in the sense that the MLS Cup final has, um, you know, quite frankly, greatly impacted the the roster that you, the United States have decided to call in for uh, their game, which is coming up quite quickly. I mean, it's it's basically in a week's time, uh, which is uh, kind of crazy to think about, considering uh, I think all of us have been full on MLS Cup mode, but. Uh, you know, the, looking at the roster selection, no Michael Bradley, um, no Josie Altidore, and then no Christian Roldan, all directly related. And then you've got guys like Adams out with, with injury as well as Zach Steffen. Um, again, this is never going to be an easy match for Canada, but all of a sudden that makes the U.S. A US team that Canada already knows they can beat look a, a little less worrying, um, doesn't it, Martin? Yeah, absolutely. Um not to take anything away from the magnificent game on the last 15th and not to take away the importance of the match on the next 15th. But uh, as we discussed at BMO, um, assuming that the Nations League isn't something that the USA covets on its own, this match is just more important to Canada than it is the United States, who's already gained entry, entry into the hex. So right. uh, the talent is there. Uh, the attendance of the best players is going to be in Canada's side. Uh, mm-hmm. They've already given the United States a bloody nose, and there's no reason to think that they can't uh, get a result uh, down south on the 15th. Yeah, and of course it'll be interesting to see how all of this affects the, the Canadian roster release as well. I mean, we, we've we talked at length about how good Jonathan Osorio was in that game against the United States. Obviously, Richie Larea played a big role as well, as did Liam Frazier coming off the bench for his first ever appearance for the Canadian men's national team. So uh, with the MLS Cup final, of course, it, it's it's going to be intriguing for, for Canada as well. And evidently, we haven't gotten the, the Canadian men's national team roster released yet uh, it's been delayed twice now it was originally supposed to be released on wednesday uh but but now it's it's supposed to be released tomorrow uh, which is friday at, at the time of recording this um with that being said uh from from the sounds of things from everything i've heard it's it's just a logistical uh thing as to why it hasn't been released yet canada soccer would would of course much prefer the media to to kind of get an opportunity to ask John Herdman about some of his selections and that sort of thing. And um, with everything that's gone on with MLS Cup, with that aforementioned Toronto FC waiting a day to to um, 
leave for Seattle uh, and and kind of avoid the the MLS Cup craziness there. Uh, there's been more um, media availabilities with Toronto, so in that sense, a lot of media haven't been able to to get on the John Herdman call. So I think that that's uh, that's that's probably why Canada's delayed this roster so far. Of course, uh, maybe there's there's something going on in terms of roster selections, but uh, from everything I've heard and and my understanding, I think that's why Canada's roster will be le- released tomorrow. But uh, regardless, I think it. It remains interesting to see how uh, the MLS Cup will affect Canada as well. We'll wrap up here on the show by talking quickly about the Canadian Premier League final that played over two legs uh, the past couple of weeks between Forge FC and Cavalry. Um, you know, I think it definitely had a Canadian flavor to it over the two legs. I mean, those were two sides that... It, already didn't like each other but certainly no more love was lost during those two legs i mean we had the the red cards we had the rescinded red cards um we had all all kind of other sorts of minor controversies doing the two legs which i think only helped add to the drama um martin what were your thoughts on on the first ever canadian premier league final and and forge fc um you know becoming the first champion yeah it was was fantastic it was fantastic to to watch um we we've uh I'll be down at Hamilton a few times for for games this year, so it's mm-hmm. uh, it, it's great to see um, it, it's great to see it come to conclusion. I, I think pretty early on in the season, it was fairly evident that uh, barring a miracle, it was going to be these two teams at the end. Um, Format wise, uh, I've got no problem with it. It, it. It's not something I would have drawn up, but I, I'm quite happy to 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 watch different leagues uh, sort out champions in different manners and. Um, if you get the best two teams uh, playing down to uh, the last action in the 90 or 185th minute yeah. of competition, then you've certainly done something right with your league. And and, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think there's uh, plenty of storylines for next year. And uh, yeah, as a season ticket holder for Forge FC, I'm, I'm more than happy to be forever first. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it doesn't compute. First year champions, my TFC brain, it does not compute. It feels very strange. Uh, do we get a star or do we get a Maple Leaf? Because that seems to be the uh, the, the, the argument going on right now. A, a Maple Leaf crest on the arm. A gold a gold league uh, um, sleeve patch like the EPL is what I've heard. So no stars over the crest. No Leafs over the crest. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Jeff yeah, takes I mean, it all back. He hates the final. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I listen. I, I I thought it was all great from the coverage on one soccer with Jeff Paulus uh, uh, as one of the one of the panel uh, right on right on down the line. I thought it was great. I mean, it's certainly uh, an interesting wrinkle that a team that can win the Apertura and the Clausura are not the champions, and and yeah. there's a lot of salty uh, Calgarians r- around right now that that will argue that. Uh, to to the nth degree, um, yeah. I mean, my my only the last uh, cycle of play up to the Schwanier uh, counter tackle was 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 really interesting because I thought there was a decent shout for a penalty on the other end too. So yeah. it was a it was a really really interesting uh, accelerated bit of of match ending because it was a pretty cagey match and then it just went crazy for that last little bit of time there so i, I can understand why why cavalry feel hard done by uh, but if you know if we're going to pull out uh, to to an objective view what an inaugural first season for the mm-hmm. cpl i mean holy smokes yeah, yeah. and and, and um, 
I'm just looking it up now. I, I, I knew that the uh, the Chouinier, uh game capper in, in the 95th minute was the latest goal that uh, Forge had scored in their entire season in all yeah. competitions. But they've only allowed two goals in the 95th minute or beyond all season. Uh, one was the loss to Cavalry, Pasquati in the 95th. Right. Uh, in the league play in Hamilton, and then Malonia uh, scored in the 96th on a penalty uh-huh. uh, in the Voyager Cup. So of all the, the three latest goals in franchise history have all been this uh, rivalry, which I'm sure will continue for next year. Yeah, I was uh, speaking of the final, I was watching the game at End Zone, which was uh, the Barton Battalion um, pub in, in Hamilton. And uh, first off, incredible atmosphere. I mean, I, I came with some buddies who were, you know, so, sort of into soccer, but not necessarily into it in, in certainly the same way the three of us are. And they were incredibly impressed by uh, how good the atmosphere was and, and how much Hamilton was into soccer. But uh, at the same time, I think when that you know, final flurry happened and there, there was a challenge on, um, I can't remember the, I think it might've been Escalante who got taken down in the box. Um, I, I, I think I was the, yeah, yeah. Which it makes a lot of sense, but I think I was the only person in the bar. Everyone else was of, of course celebrating. I was the only person in the bar. Like, is that maybe like a, a penalty or? Yeah. I didn't voice that uh, opinion because I saw Alec Gorman across and figured he would have hopped like three rows and <laughs> come over and tackled me. <laughs> you up. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but uh, <laughs> among other people in that bar. But yeah, it was a, you know, it was a fantastic final day. And, and like Jeff said, I mean, what a great first season for the league i mean uh, i guess we'll um we'll talk about moments um you know what what stood out for you guys in, in the first year of the of, of the canadian Premier league jeff you have a thought on this well i mean the only real uh con on my list of pros and cons was the borges red card in the first leg overturned and i i don't i mean i definitely don't know offhand but has there ever been a final uh a two-legged final in, do you guys remember a two-legged final where such an important uh, decision on the first leg was overturned by the governing body towards the second leg? Because I sure don't. No, no not, not I the, mean, uh, there's not many two-legged finals in, in general in world soccer. No, yeah, that, that, that's a fair point. I mean, do you think that's a good look moving forward that there's that sort of – I mean, you could have an argument for both cases that, that you know, you're not, you're not beholden to, to the mood of the ref necessarily mm-hmm. on the day, but – also, it's a bit Mickey Mouse to, to have an avenue to, to you know, go back and, and, and rescind a red card. Just, just, just from a purely objective viewpoint, I, 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 you know, it, it, it has a – and it, it takes the sting of finality off of something that for, mo- for the most part used to have the, the air of, of, for better or worse, finality to it. So that's just it's something that I found curious about the, the whole affair. I don't know. I guess I kind of go the other way in the sense that, uh, I mean, we do see red cards rescinded. There is uh, kind of that – uh, appeal process for a reason and it's for calls like this that i think quite frankly were were wrong i mean um you know it, it is there is some debate to it but i i fully thought and i think most people thought immediately seeing that how in the world was that a red card on tristan borges so um i think especially in the first year and i hope obviously you know you hope this didn't play into it but having the league's biggest stars or star in both legs of the final was uh was pretty critical so um i don't know i 
I think I'm less, uh, I'm, I'm less, you know, worried about that in, in the sense of, of the narrative of, of the final itself. Um, but yeah, anything on, on a positive standpoint, what, uh, I mean, you know, so much went well for, <laughs> I'm trying to bring it back to the, uh, the positives <laughs> here, Jeff. Uh, what, uh, what, what do you thought the league absolutely got right in year one and, and I guess makes you hopeful going forward here? Oh, uh, uh, cap- capturing uh, uh, the the fervent supporters in all the markets. I mean, uh, uh, walking that tightrope between uh, uh, you know generally uh, uh, front offices that are CFL types, uh, right. really really making an effort to understand uh, soccer support uh, in in a way that's authentic to the to the to the cities that that the CPL uh, uh, had as as uh, markets for year one. I thought was quite impressive. Um, you know, uh, the, the content coming out of both, uh, CPL editorial and, uh, one soccer has been, has been top notch and, and there's, you know, the, the only way is up, uh, with respect to that, uh, you know, the, the general, uh, uniformity in terms of, uh, of the, the actual production aesthetic across the league for, for all of the venues, thanks to, uh, media pro and one soccer was, uh, was quite nice. Um, Yeah. That's that's my take. Yeah, I I would just be a walking brochure for the league. I think all, all the things <laughs> that they wanted to get right and all the all the notes that they wanted to hit, I I, I do believe that they did uh, coast mm-hmm. to coast with 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 having the fans and, and by maybe not by design, but not in the biggest markets, but still coast to coast and fervent fan base and camaraderie and. You know the guys that rode their their bikes across the country uh, to, to all the matches. Yeah, um, it, it was getting getting a real cup run, uh, and not even necessarily the cavalry success, but just having the extra rounds and the different tiers and the different leagues and making it both exciting for League One and for the MLS sides. Um, I, I think that they did a lot right. I don't think that they're. I I don't know, but I don't think that they're overly tied to anything that happened this year. I, I think that a 17-team league will operate different than a 10-team league or a 12-team league in five years. And, yeah. and I, don't think, I don't think the rules or the structures in place are, are, are locked in. And I think that's a great sign for the league, that, mm-hmm. that they're, they're able to recognize the things that they got right and, and tweak the things that maybe they didn't. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to walk away from this season Happy, um, happy that the league made it. That, that they're looking positive for the second year. But but um, last Saturday's game, Claire Rustat was fantastic. I, I oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm yeah. almost sad she's not on every game. She that <laughs> that was phenomenal analysis from her, and uh, and uh, I can't wait for the next match. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think like you said, the most of the. Um, I guess things that they still have to figure out have to do with travel and, and league format themselves. But those are things that were always going to be incredibly difficult in, in year one and in a year where you didn't have any past history uh, to build on. So I think that even going forward here, they're, um, they're going to make those changes. And, uh, you know, I think it's only only going to get better as a result. I know that's something that I've always kind of liked about MLS is the fact that they recognize that, you know, they recognize things that need to change and, the, and they're happy to go out and change those. Now, of course, they could be much clearer in the in the way they do them and and why and why they're not just 
out there to benefit the uh, LA Galaxy, but um, <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, I think that uh, you know this was you know a fantastic inaugural season for the Canadian Premier League. And uh, I guess Jeff, you just have one closing thought here before we wrap up. Well, uh, your your rundown says the future of league MVP Tristan Borges, which I thought was an excellent segue to all the little MLS talk we've been making because sure. uh, I've I've heard that the impact and the white caps are interested uh, mm-hmm. that was the most recent do we think mls is a good stepping stone for for tristan or do we think uh you should bypass mls and go straight to europe first first uh first discount air transat flight to europe um man, de- player development's always a it's always a tricky question hindsight's always twenty twenty with these sort of things but um I don't know. I always err on the side of if he can, um, you know, the opportunity perhaps that he'll be afforded under uh, Mark DeSantos or even in Montreal. I mean, as a Canadian player, um, I, you know, I always think that first off, I think MLS is a good level for him in his next step as a player. And I also think that, you know, it, it's a chance here where, you know, he will be a local player. He will not get overlooked as a result of his nationality. And I think that that's, that's incredibly important. And that's obviously something that's been huge for him with Forge. So I, I think in that sense, probably um, Montreal or Vancouver will be the next move. Uh, he does. It sounds like he does have European offers as well. And if he takes those, then great. But um, I, I do think MLS would be a, a solid enough a move for him. So you're calling, you're saying Borges would be more of a Balu Tabla than a, uh, an Alfonso Davies, basically. Like he, if he got an offer in Europe, he would probably be a bench warmer or a, a reserve side guy, or maybe even get kicked down to a, to a, a lower division on loan. Uh, whereas, you know, Alfonso is, is, is making waves in, in a first team kind of situation. It's hard to know where, and uh, of course, Borges does have that European experience, which I think is is massive for him in the sense that uh, you know eventually I could see him ending up in Europe. But um, again, I think if if Vancouver or Montreal are interested, uh, especially Vancouver, in the in the sense that there's a lot of moving parts there, that's a, that's a team that you can uh, you can really quickly uh, make yourself a, a star player with. Um, I, you know, I think that's a that would be a great spot for him and a, and a great next step. And, you know, in, in some ways, uh, I think it would be, uh, I think it's a big positive. Uh, I know, obviously, it would be great if, if the Canadian Premier League could get players over to Europe as well. But I, th- I think that there's a natural pathway there of, of Canadian pl- Premier League players impressing in the Canadian Premier League and then moving up to those big MLS sides in Canada and kind of uh, the natural progression that, that is there. So um, it's, it's definitely going to be an interesting offseason. And I think... In terms of what's already a bit of a wild off season for the Canadian Premier League, a lot of people will uh, will be watching Borges. I think most closely because that's the one guy that you could see uh, really making a move, and you know you hope that it's a move that Forge is able to cash out on as well because that's that's another big part of this all is is the fact that player transfers are going to be pretty important to this league economically. Um, but I think we're we're gonna wrap up the show there. Um, it's it's you know certainly a lot of talking points. Uh, Martin, you have one more thing. To say. See you Sunday. See you guys Sunday. <laughs> there you go. Love that. Uh, yeah. So see us. See a number of you Sunday at the rec room. Uh, very much looking forward to that. Uh, again, a, a bit of a difference experience experience watching the MLS Cup final on the road and uh, not being there in person. But uh, you know, obviously for a number of us if Toronto FC win it'll be a, a special experience nonetheless so yeah see you Sunday and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend everyone <laughs>